Welcome, everybody, to the 42nd episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your host, Simon. Manny, we're back again with another episode. It feels like the episodes are coming thick and fast yeah, with all the get festive fixtures, right? It starts, it's December, right? And December has traditionally been, you know, historically one of the bad months of Chelsea, but I don't know if it can get any worse <laughs> than what we've <laughs> experienced the last eight months, you know? Yeah, just when you think that it can't get any worse, they, yeah. they managed to find a way. But I know. on a positive thing, how was your weekend? You know, it was actually really good. Uh, it was like a really, really long work week, and then the United loss on Wednesday, and just looking forward to the weekend. And Friday night, I hung out with Sloop, and I met you at a pub Yeah, uh, by your neighborhood. That was nice. Grabbed a beer there, grabbed a pint, and then Saturday, I had a really good day. Um, you know, watched some soccer, obviously, in the morning, and then uh, went to East Nashville and had lunch with one of my buddies at a restaurant called Kisser. Have you heard of Kisser? No, I haven't, no. Yeah, it's a really, it's a new um, Japanese-style restaurant. It's like a temenyaki or something like that, and they serve, like, you know, small Japanese tapas, but they also have, like, ramen and stuff like that. It was delicious. It was really, really good. And oh. I think it I think it got a uh, James Beard nominee or nomination or whatever. And I, for our English listeners, that's kind of sort of like almost to the level of the Michelin star. Oh, awesome. um, but, you know, in Michelin in the U.S., Michelin Guide is only in a few cities, yeah. not in Nashville just yet. So we sort of use like this James Beard. It's like a, it's sort of like the same thing here in these other cities and stuff like that where there's not a Michelin Guide. And so I get nominated as one of the, as one of the, new restaurants or top new chefs or something. I don't know. You just, you know, all these nominees that come out, you have no idea what the fuck it means half the time. But, you know, it's always like, yeah, let's go try it out, right? I got nominated. <laughs> Is you it know? food? Yeah, yeah exactly. It. It yeah, yeah. No, it, and it was delicious. It's very, very good. And then, you know, Saturday night, I went with my buddy, uh, Vanit. He's a, you know, a Spurs fan. I think we always, we, all of us have like one or two Spurs fans that we sort of associate with just yeah. to make us, make ourselves feel better to see their misery, but it's almost the other it's way around fact, now. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we went to dinner at um, a restaurant here in town uh, in my neighborhood called Josephine, which is actually closing down. It's really sad. Yeah, that place is amazing. Yeah, and, and to your listeners in London, the real estate in Nashville is just exploding, but what at the same time, these restaurants who've had these long-term leases in these spaces are getting priced out when the lease is renewing, and they can't afford to be there and, and pay these exorbitant prices, um, you know, to, to serve delicious food. And it's great food. I think it literally, I think it's the bre- best brunch, bur- best burger in town, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. And they only serve it for brunch and happy hour, but we went for dinner and it was really, it was such a, it was a great meal. Very, very good meal. Amazing. Yeah. I th- think people don't really understand how popular Nashville is really, especially our UK people. I've got some family in town this weekend and yeah, just, kind of showing where everything has been developing and it's just like the whole city is like a constant building site and therefore you get all the you know usual suspects with in terms of gentrification and stuff like that and amazing restaurants that don't last there very long because it's so competitive but it's a really buzzing place it's amazing and yeah it's offers some bright spots away from chelsea how was your weekend this is the thing it's like i try to disassociate my weekends with chelsea but I can't do it at the moment. It's it's tough. You know what I, you know you know what I did on Sunday after the game. Well, I, I went to the movie theater. Oh, how was it? Uh, it was great. I went I went to go watch the Hunger Games. I was like, you know, it oh, <laughs> reminds yeah. me of Todd Bowley's Chelsea. Did they play a four four three as well? Exactly, exactly. I was like, who's our fullback? Who's the fullback? Who's in goal? Oh, Katniss, flip it around. Katniss, what happened? <laughs> Inverted Archer at the top. Yeah, exactly. No, it was sort of like a disconnect to you know, dissociate myself from, uh, you know, from the actual game. 
someone I read something very very funny over the weekend which was that Chelsea used to distract me from reality and now I'm using reality to distract me from Chelsea which is a real mantra that I think I'm living with now which is very very young foreign to me compared to the last 20 years of success you know and I pose this question to myself are we a mid-table team after the last two games I don't even know if we're mid-table no, now, I, th- I think we're maybe skirting three or four teams above the relegation line based on our points total and what we've done so far. And that's kind of scary. It's very scary. Yeah. I mean, if you see like Bournemouth, what they did at Man U, see what Everton did with us and their, you know, their relegation line. I mean, they did have the points deduction. Seeing the other teams at the bottom, Luton Town almost, you know, getting some points against Man City. So let's talk a little bit about the game. Chelsea lost 2-0 to Everton, as I'm sure everybody knows, <laughs> on Sunday morning, well, Sunday afternoon. Um, so I feel that I don't want to talk about the game too much because it feels like a real kind of rinse and repeat from a lot of what's happened in the, the last year. But what are your initial thoughts after watching it on Sunday? Well, I think we should probably kind of look at the, look how the lineup was set. I think yeah. that's part of the tactics, and we were sort of very critical on Poch before in the game against Man U, and I think sort of the same. I mean... You and I texted before, uh, you know, Sanchez and goal, obviously. Reese James back on the pitch starting. Um, De Sassi and then Badia Show getting the start over Silva. And then Cucurella left fullback. And then our, our three-man midfield was back to the same. Gallagher coming back from suspension with Caicedo and Enzo. And then top three, Broja starting over Nico. And then uh, Palmer and Mudrik on the wings. Yeah, I was very surprised to see Reese James in the lineup for what and that was quite prophetic, to be honest, about what would happen next. He didn't look sharp against Manchester United. He didn't look fit against Manchester United. I mean, it was nice to see him there, but I was worried that he wouldn't last very long. Yeah, and we, we both said on the last pod, if he's not 100%, don't start him. And if he isn't 100%, do what we did you know, against Brighton. Start with the four centre-backs. Or maybe Cucurella, left full-back, but then put DeSassi right in, Batty Schill and, you know, and Silva in the, in the centre-back position. But, you know, what do we know? Yeah, and then the game started, and I thought we did okay the first 20 minutes or so, created a couple of opportunities, and then the first half just kind of fizzled out. It wasn't really, it was a very boring half of football, actually, and then the script was written. Sanchez made a couple of very good saves, and then they scored from a very, very soft goal in the second half. Baddy Shield making a mistake, Colwell not closing down the the rebound quick enough, and Dukuri, who has been a revelation under Sean Dyche, actually, um, finished it off very well and then is basically how we predicted it to be Chelsea to have a lot of possession not really do anything with it not create many chances and then they scored a second goal after yeah. the goalkeeper was injured where a lot of our fan base got to see Petrovic for the first yeah, time which everyone was clamouring for yeah and uh, I think it was I think it sort of foreshadows one of the other mistakes Poch did by not having Petrovic play some of those cup games I mean obviously not the cup games in Brighton but the one before he should have mm-hmm. had some playing time and sort of uh, foreshadows them on the pitch. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't know if he could have saved that. Maybe Sanchez could have saved that. I think he has a better reactionary time. Who knows? But that was just an unfortunate set-piece play. We knew it was coming from a terrible giveaway. And then they got the corner. And uh, just, I, it was shambles. I mean, do we? I think if you look at our XG, I mean, I don't know. We maybe had one or two big opportunities. Maybe Enzo in the first half had two shots. I thought some positives. You know, we're going to be a little bit positive here. I thought Mudrik had a very good game. I thought he was. He just took Ashley Young out the park, and Ashley Young had to be, you know, subbed out in the mm-hmm. first half. And they said it was for injury, but I, I don't, I don't know about that. But um, Mikolenko, 
for Everton, that guy was just all over the pitch, man. We couldn't get nothing on that right side, whether it was Cole Palmer, you know, or whoever. Sterling, he just he just gobbled up Sterling when he came in in the second half. It was just remarkable, and that's what experience that's what experience buys you. Do you know what? I think the most depressing aspect of the the game on Sunday was just that it was all completely predictable. And I think any I know you predicted us to win. I think that was more out of sheer optimism, yeah. counter to my negativity yeah. more than anything else. But I think well, when, I, when I saw the lineup, I texted you we're going to lose, right? When I saw yeah, when yeah. the lineup came out, I was like, well, I, I, I'm not really happy with this lineup. You know, I think you were very much in the minority thinking we were going to get anything out of that game. I think everybody was resigned to not getting three points, and I think most people resigned to us losing because it's just the formula was written, which is very depressing and. It really kind of makes a mockery of everything that we're told to believe with this team developing. That a team that escaped relegation on the last day of the season last year just completely schooled us, who were only below us in the table because they had a ten points point deduction. Um, and it just kind of highlights where we are. Um, I th- going back to the point about Mudrick. I find it fascinating that in the media people are leaping on him. There's all these pundits in the UK, especially, who are saying, look at Mudrick, he's not creating anything. I think he was our one good player. Maybe yeah. Palmer as well, but okay. But Mudrick played, actually took the game to him and looked dangerous whenever he had the ball. He just didn't have any support. Absolutely no support whatsoever. And he can only do so much. He's you know a young kid as well, but at least he had a bit of spark about him. I think there's, you know... 10 other players who I would have gone for first before Mudrick on the criticism on Sunday. But I think people are just leaping onto that narrative a bit, I think. And if you look at any bright spots from the last three or four games outside of the win of Brighton, I think there has been, there's been some consistency and that's Mudrick's play. I think he's been consistently doing better than the other Chelsea players mm-hmm. went on the pitch. Uh, him and Sanchez. I mean, obviously Sanchez's distribution, whenever he gets to put the ball, you and I are both my heart races and stuff like that and making a mistake. But you know, he's shot stopper. I mean, extraordinaire. And I think him and Mudrick have been some of the bright spots. Definitely. So the lineup was crazy. And I think the manager, my initial thought, I, I went to my Chelsea default immediately afterwards. In my mind, I was like, oh, Potts just got to go. Potts just got to go. And I just thought to myself, that would be the most dumb move in the world to sack him right now. But where are we? Yeah, no, I... um we had a long discussion on our Slack channel, and for all the listeners out there, we're pretty active. Uh, the Music City Blues here, we have a big Slack channel. You know, I think over 50, 60 people on the channel, and we're pretty active during the games and after the game. We had a pretty pretty good conversation about the team, and I think for the most part, everybody was in sort of consensual agreement that Potts shouldn't be fired. I mean, it would be a mistake if we fired him. You know, it would show that to any other coach when they come here that you're going to be, you know, on a short leash. And you made that point on the last podcast. And I think the biggest, and they asked us a question, what what can we do with this team? And outside of maybe one or two additions, and Potch talked about his po, uh, po, uh, post-match press conference, outside of that, the only thing that, this, that can fix this squad outside of tactics and new players is time. I mean, it's a young squad. It's a young, young squad, and I mentioned that. How many podcasts have I talked about that? Mm-hmm. Inexperience breeds mistakes, and this is what the squad is. It's an experience in young. Our two, three main players, Sterling, um, Silva, Cucurella maybe. I don't know who else. You'd have some sort of Premier League experience on this team, and that's about it. Yeah. Our midfield doesn't. You know, I don't count 
Caicedo just one year at Brighton. Right. Connor Gallagher maybe here and there at Crystal Palace, but wasn't getting much opportunities last year at Chelsea. You know, doesn't have that consistent presence in the position that he's playing in the midfield now as a holding midfielder, not as an advanced midfielder. Um, Enzo, just six months, you know, brought him last January, now maybe 10 months total. And he, he just looks exhausted playing, he does. you know, nonstop in the summer, nonstop international bake, nonstop for us. You know, didn't get much rest when we got him from uh, from Portugal last year. Played throughout the World Cup last year. Is probably running on fumes. He's also doesn't know what position he's supposed to be playing. You know, I thought we would have him in the position that he was last year with Potter and Lampard, but he's playing pretty far up advanced. And you know, he he has opportunities to score around the goal, just misses them. And then, um, you know, our fullbacks. We saw a team captain that really. How many games has he played in the last two years? Not many. Not many. And wearing the captain's armband requires you to have not just leadership and experience, but also longevity on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that from him. And listen, it pains me. I feel so bad for him. You can see it when he was injured. He was just distraught, upset. And he knew it was a hamstring. And he probably knows it's going to be another long time, you know, in the medical tent rehabbing that or whatnot it's just when it rains it pours it's like one domino falls and just like it's like playing jenga right like you know you know it's it's crashing right now the football club and and really the only way we can get through this is just getting through the season getting our experienced players back getting lavia back we're not lavia back but getting in cuckoo back getting chillwell back at some point getting fofana back getting these players who've been injured for a while back that have some sort of experience in the premier league so interesting the word you use time i think that the in instant chelsea reaction i feel that there was some good the conversation the conversation always goes to the manager first because that's just the way that we've been taught to think over the last 20 years but there was also some other low-hanging fruit in terms of easy discussions easy solutions to bigger problems i think and I'm very much in that boat as well. And I think it's easy to do that in emotional state as a fan. Like the first thing that people were talking about was Pochettino gone and Reese James needs to be sold. That's not going to solve anything. It's not. And I understand the frustrations because those are the visceral things that you can see straight away as being the problems. But I think I talked about this in the last podcast a lot. There's so many problems at Chelsea and there's so much, so much overhaul and the word time that you used is something that's not accustomed with our fan base. We're just not used to it. And I think culturally as well within Premier League football. We and you talked about this a bit after after the podcast last week. That I think overall what I've detected from the American fan base is more patience. I think very much in American sports, team rebuilds, even for the biggest teams, happen quite regularly. And it's a very cyclical nature of the sports where teams are on top for a long time and they just have to recycle because the competitive balance of the sports doesn't allow one team to stay on top forever, right? That is not a thing in English sports. So tearing something down that was perceived to be successful, which Chelsea were two years ago, and rebuilding it from scratch, literally everything, is something that English football fans are not used to and this is what's happening right now and 
I got very emotional on the last podcast and I think I've got to, we've got back into the five stages of grief about it. I it's really crazy cyclical moments. You, I thought you, we got you, out of that last year. Are you at acceptance? I'm purely <laughs> acceptance now because whether we like it or not, this is the path that our owners have chosen to go on and I think the only thing that you can manage as a fan in this point is your expectations. Yeah. Right now, I don't us, expect us to win a football match. Yeah, I think if you look at it, um, you know, we have Sheffield coming up. Winnable game, obviously. Um, you know, another relegation team, but it's 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 all dependent on what type of Chelsea team is going to show up. They're getting battered throughout the media, on social media, here in the States, abroad, uh, in England. And will the players react to this? I don't know. I mean, if they had some experience, maybe, but these are young players and who are attached to social media. They they look at these posts, they look at the comments, they make their own posts, they make their own comments, the post pictures in the training or whatnot or whatever. But it's 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 going to be on the players and the coach to make some. I think arguably our most important game is not this Sheffield game or the games in December and the congestion. It's going to be that game against Newcastle mm. in the in the quarter quarterfinals. Of the Carabao Cup. Cup. Yeah. yeah. That is our most important game. And that's going to be three days after this game uh, on the weekend. I would actually look at this Sheffield United game and play, you know, do some rotation and have my main players there for the game against Newcastle because that is one of the only opportunities for us to get into Europe now. Here's the question though: Does Pochettino know which are the main players? <laughs> no, do we know? Do we know? No, yeah, we don't know. I think that's because part if of you the look problem. at it, if you look at it, when Brozia was on the uh, was on the lineup and when Batty Shaw was in the lineup, people were excited. That's what they wanted. That's what everybody wanted. If you look at Chelsea fans throughout the message board, throughout Twitter, or whatever, there was excitement because they saw yeah. Nico Jackson and how many mi- mi- mistakes he's made. I was probably one of the few in the minority that was like, I don't know about this. Yeah, you were right. I don't know about this because I think even though we know Nico Jackson's made some mistakes and made some misses, the relationship that he's developed with Cole Palmer and Sterling is inviolable right now for such an inexperienced team. And when he took out Sterling and Nico in the starting lineup and put Broja in with Cole Palmer and with Mudrick, I knew that that was not going to gel. Yeah. If you saw the game, Brogia was occupying a lot of the right wing with Cole Palmer. I mean, they were sort of confused on who's going to be up there. The long balls that Brogia was expecting were few and far between. And that's what Batty Shield is known for, really good long long passing accuracy. And wasn't putting that many balls up. They were trying to play out the back most of the time. And then when you have a new, when Brogia coming in, is he going to occupy the same space as Enzo? Because Enzo was playing pretty far up in advance. Gallagher was the holding guy with Caicedo. You know, I thought it was always going to be Enzo and Kaisero and double pivot and Gallagher Gallagher in the advancing midfield position, but it wasn't. And then Batty Shield, listen, incredible center back, great center back. But when I saw him on the team sheet, I thought, man, you know, Silva and DeSassi have a partnership. Maybe it was because Silva was just playing a bunch of games in a row. Yeah. He's at 39 years of age. Maybe they want to rotate him. Is that why? And then what happened, man? Batty Shield, I mean, listen, he played well up until that and made a mistake. And unfortunately, it was a grave mistake, and they scored off a rebound. I think this goes back to the continuity argument again. Yeah, it's like I find there must be something going on behind the scenes, or Pochettino is not helping himself here. No, I'm not calling him for him to be sacked. I'm not impressed by what we're seeing, but he is not helping 
anyone right now. That just the constant changing of positions, as you said, like we don't know the full story here. We don't know how much influence is going on behind, how much interference is going on behind. Anyone can anyone can guess what that is. But in that moment when you pick Reese James, whether he was fifty percent fit or whatever, from that moment on, moving Cucurella to right back and then Colwell to left back, I knew at that moment we were not going to create anything more. I knew it because we've seen this story. Cucurella is not a right back. He's not a right back. Colwell is one of the most highly rated centre backs in the world. And we're playing him at left back over a left back who's playing right back. I mean, what are you doing? There's a point of trying to be too clever. He needs to strip it back down to the fundamentals, in my mind. You play, as you said, with continuity. You play with players playing in their strongest positions. If that upsets a few people, then it upsets a few people. You play your strongest 11 in their best positions. It's creating this uncertainty, unnecessary uncertainty, and the players look lost. Well, I think it's going to get worse, and this is why. Um, and I mean, worse in a sense, I think we're going to have a lot more losses, maybe some draws, a few wins, even though we have a pretty, you know, by by schedule, not, you know, our worst teams that we played with this last couple of weeks. And this is why um, throughout the last two or three years, whether it was Tuchel, Lampard, Potter, Lampard again, Chelsea's main focus was playing out through the fullbacks, right? And we were in a very good position, you know, after winning the the Champions League in 2021, back in November, December, we were like number one in, in, in the Premier League. We had just won 4-0 in the Champions League. Um, and then Chilwell got hurt. And then Reese James got hurt. And then we got into that congested fixture where we started dropping games because we had no fullbacks. We went into this season having, you know, I said three out of four healthy fullbacks. Reese James was probably still hurt. Uh, but Gusto, James, Chilwell, Cucurella, Matson, And what do we have now? James is hurt. Chilwell's out. Gusto, I don't know what the fuck happened to him. He's uh, back in training, but whether he he needs another week. Yeah. I read that he might be back next Saturday. I don't know. Okay. And then um, Cucurella almost was, almost was put on loan. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, he plays Matson as an attacking yeah. right midfielder. And when we had you, well, he put him at left wing. <laughs> you know, this is more the point. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult moving forward until we get another fullback in the transfer window, or we try to put one of our other players in a fullback position, like other teams have, and see if they do well. And I'm not talking like a center back, but maybe you know, maybe try to maybe put Matson in his left fullback position. Yeah, he maybe played. play him in his yeah, natural position. Exactly. Maybe you have to move DeSassi back at the right fullback position like he did against Brighton in one of the cup games. I mean, we're not probably not going to get much from him on that side, but that's, you know, we're at where we're at, we're at. Maybe Caicedo at right fullback. Didn't he play at Brighton? Right we fullback? don't have any midfielders. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> My only comments to this is that I would just, if I was a Chelsea fan, just know that the storm is coming. This fixture is going to be very, really congested. We are going to have some trouble defending on the width on the wings and creating on the wings, especially with our fullbacks injured. But I still think that this is a talented raw team, a young team 
that just needs time to gel and time to become more experienced for the Premier League. And maybe Todd and company will maybe add a few players in January to hopefully get us to where we not have to worry about relegation if we have a points deduction. That seems very logical. Pretend that I'm an illogical English Chelsea (laughs) fan. How do you translate that to a moron like me who doesn't understand that concept of patience? Yeah, I think that it's it's difficult, especially with, you said, historically, as Chelsea's never been in this position, even pre-Roman. And then even during Roman, there was a very, very low threshold of getting rid of managers. They didn't perform. Roman sacked him. With this new ownership, we don't know what the threshold is. We thought it was going to be a pretty high threshold, but Potter was sacked. Tuchel was sacked, you know, pretty quickly. I think that they're going to stick with Poch for a little bit. I think my advice to the English fans is I know this is not something that you see in Chelsea that you want to see in Chelsea, but it is a lot of these decisions are out of your control. You can be angry about it. You can be frustrated about it, but mentally to make yourself not get too crazy about this is to just sort of take a step back and know, you know what? There's a lot of this is out of my control. A lot of this is out of my control. The more I think about it, the more I dwell about it, the more I get invested in this emotionally, the worse it is for me in the future. So take a step back, watch the games, be excited, be cheerful or whatever. But when the, when, when the, when, when the whistle blows, disconnect. Because that's the only way you can get through this period of Chelsea, but that's also a way to sort of get that mind evolved into getting into the mindset of patience. Yeah, I think those are very good ideas in principle. I, I, I'm not going to be able... This is the whole thing. Uh, I, How do you deal with it? Badly, I would think, is the... I, I deal with it better than I used to, I have to say. I think moving to America and understanding, watching and getting into sports where there's so many games and losses mean less, you understand that the odd loss does not mean that much. I think it's... Where I am struggling is the fact that just culturally, I'm just ex- expected to Chelsea to relieve me of a lot of the stress and tension. And they're just adding to it at the moment. They are. And I'm resigned, actually. I've, I've got, like, as I said, I've moved on to the next stage after last week where I was trying to really bring out my rage with it. And I have no expectations for this team. And as I said, I have no faith with what the owners and the, t- the club are doing because if you just look at the bare bones of it, why is Sean Dyche's Everton, that is a club in turmoil. Turmoil. They've got no money. A 10-point deduction. They've got on, they have to like scramble to get players on a free transfer now. And they just absolutely schooled the single most expensively assembled squad in history. And just like on the base facts of it, it's just like, how could it get any worse than that? And it could. Sheffield. It it could get worse. It might get worse and it probably will get worse. I have just got to the point where now I'm just like, I have to endure this. This is the, this is the pain we would do after such a period of success. If someone told me right now, trade away the years of success for being higher up the league right now, I would not do it. No, oh, absolutely not. I mean, Those memories are the best thing in the world, and that's if, what I'm launching asked, onto. If you ask Leicester City fans, would you trade your Premier League title or your FA Cup title to not being relegated? No, they wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't. No. The highs come with the highs, the lows come with the lows, man, and we just have to 
endure the next few months and hopefully by February or March we have a set squad, a better squad, a more experienced squad to be able to challenge and stay mid-table. I'm not even going to say top four, top seven, or top eight. It's going to be mid-table between 13 and nine is what I'm looking, was what I'm aiming for. Yeah. If we can get top half right now, I'd be very happy with yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, if we can get, if we, if we can get into Europe through FA cup or Carabao cup, that would be a win, win for the season. I have a question for you because coming from an American perspective. Yeah. And I was talking to my family about this this weekend, about the, the sheer number of Chelsea supporters in America. And, that must have come from a period of success that we had. What damage do you think we're doing to attracting potential new fans in America and elsewhere right now with the product that's been put out there by the current formation yeah, of no, Chelsea? I, I, I don't know if there's much damage per se in, in the short term, but definitely in the long term if we don't get out of this within a year or two. You know, short term being bottom or whatever for a year or two years, fine. We can we can we can we can be okay with that, but if we are long term mid table, that's going to affect the future support of these teams. Currently, in the U.S., a lot of these younger fans are gravitating towards successful teams, i.e., Man City. You know, you see these kids with Holland kits on everywhere, with you know, with Foden kits on, and that's sort of like it's not the most popular team, but it's it's. It's a grass, you know, these young kids are becoming Man City fans because it breeds success. They've been the most successful team in the last five years in the Premier League, you know, and they won the treble last year. I think this is a speed bump. I mean, I'm hoping this is a speed bump for the for this year too, but I think long-term wise, I think that Chelsea will still be one of the top teams in the U.S. And you know what? If there are American fans that don't that want to stop being Chelsea fans because we're not winning. Fuck them. Yep. Fuck them. Go support Man City. Yeah. Go leave. I don't care. You know, we ride together. We die together. Yeah. And if anyone thinks this is for our English audience, there was some pretty just to end on this is a crazy story in Major League Baseball this week with Todd Bowley's LA Dodgers, where they have basically given the potentially the best baseball player ever the most ridiculous contract. 10 years, 700 million. But he's used his loopholes again to wangle the contract. So he has deferred most of the money, which means that he's going to be paying the player Otani the vast majority of the 700 million at the end of the contract. So he's going to be paying 2 million a year and then paying him over to 680 million at the end. Yeah, I, I, I maybe... I, I don't know how he got a time to sign that contract. Yeah, that's, that's kind of ridiculous because well, that's you're losing a lot of money with interest. I mean, you think about it, hundred you're getting you know what seventy million a year, but only not you're only getting two and not sixty eight. You take that sixty eight million and just conservatively five ten percent in the market every single year. Yeah. You're, you're you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. But Otani, to his credit, says I'm making a lot of money just on endorsements and I'm making fifty yeah. sixty million. I mean, this is literally the biggest star in Asia, the biggest yeah. star in Asia. Yeah. I mean, and he's only getting more popular here in the U S and in the, you know, in South America, wherever baseball is popular. I mean, this legit may go down as one of the best baseball players of all time. Yeah. Cause he's a two way. Oh, yeah. I, mean, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, what led the league, led the league and uh, led the American league in home runs or one of the, whatever yeah. last year. And then 
also a great pitcher and then they had to put him on a rotation like okay yeah. he can only pitch once a week but he yeah. can bat four days you know just very very and they actually made rule changes to allow him to continue to bat even when he took him out as a pitcher like you know the the mlb did and so this i mean he's a great player and he went to the dodgers uh, but Todd yeah. Bowley messing up Major League Baseball as <laughs> yeah, well as the Premier League. Exactly. I think that story broke this afternoon, actually, and the hysteria, because I'm a big fan of baseball, the hysteria that people are treating this story as just like it's within the rules, but no one else has done it before, which is just hilarious and makes me think that our ownership will probably figure it out and get things right, but it's going to be a very bumpy ride. Final thoughts. Sheffield United this weekend. What do you expect to happen? Yeah, it's at home, right? It's at home. Yeah. I think we're going to win. I mean, I would probably say 2-0 or 2-1, conservative win. Not more not more than two goals, I think, that we score. Um, but I think we should win. If we don't win, it's going to set up to be a very, very difficult game that Tuesday mm-hmm. against Newcastle. Um, it's a must-win game. Both, I think, well, Newcastle one's probably a little bit more must win just to, you know, get to semifinals of the Carabao Cup. But it's Sheffield United, you know, they're obviously flirting with relegation, last place, eight points. Um, new manager Burnley. bounce of the weekend, though. Yeah, got the they, they did. They got the new manager win. bounce for sure. Uh, but let's see. We have to win. We have to win. I don't know what's going to happen if we don't. It's going to be. I find Chelsea's Twitter generally and social media insufferable at the best of times but oh goodness me I don't know what will happen if we don't I think serious questions are going to be asked again we could just have to get the three points I don't care how, how we do it but we have to get it that brings us to the end of this podcast of Chelsea Against the World again thank you so much to listeners out there for tuning in every single week to our episodes it's not the best time to be a Chelsea fan but we're in this together and if you haven't already please do follow us on our social medias we are on Twitter Instagram and TikTok. That's right. We're at CATW Podcast. That's CATW Podcast. Simon's been putting out some great content on TikTok. Please give us a follow, likes, and subscriptions. And then if you have any questions, comments, or any suggestions for future content, we'd love to be on the podcast in the future. Please email us at podcastcatw at gmail.com. Podcastcatw at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We have to stick together through this. You know what? I mentioned some terrible stuff on social media but I've actually been having some very good conversations and I think around the club in person with people and people close to me about what we need to do and we have to try and look to the future and think of the long term so keep the faith please do give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and we'll see you after the Sheffield United victory see you next time